We don't slut shame around here. They say we are what we eat. Does that come in organic? So who are you eating? I believe they call that an ethical slut. Can I unplug your phone so I can charge my vibrator? I can't believe he couldn't find it. Fuck it. Let's roll. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, The place to up-level that sexy life of yours. With expert talk on sex, love, and nutrition. Hey lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Cat. There are a lot of articles out there, or memes, that say how sex can improve your mental health. But what about when mental health affects your sex life? We've all been through the pandemic, and if you didn't have any struggles with your mental health, then I'm just going to assume that you did the lockdown down on some beach in Mexico or something. For the rest of us, I've got sexologist Nicoletta Heidegger here to save the day and our sex lives. But before we get to Nicoletta, speaking of Mexico and getting sexy, our Undone Rewilding Retreat is happening deep in the Mayan jungles, February 2022. You ready to unlock your sexual tigress? This is it, babe. For all you women and femme who have either found your wild or are seeking her tribe to activate her soul, when you come, whether you're by yourself or with a sister, you will feel so at home, so safe, and so welcome. Check out the link in the show notes for more. Sex. Yes, I said it. Sex, pleasure, sensuality, sexuality, orgasm, feminine wellness. These are all the topics that have been a little too taboo in our society, yet times are changing and we're all here for it. Have you felt the call to connect deeper with yourself, to learn more about your body's ability to be receptive in pleasure, or perhaps spice things up in your love life and welcome more intimacy? Yoni Pleasure Palace, founded by sexuality and relationship coach and passionate entrepreneur Rosie Reese, is the online leader in luxurious pleasure wands, healing crystal yoni eggs, and the iconic waterproof squirt blankets, and the famous sacred squirter glass dildo. Her range extends from stunning crystal and glass toys to her exclusive monthly membership space where you get the real sex education that you wish you had in school, and her famously sexy squirt school. Once you've dipped your toe into the sensual world of Yoni Pleasure Palace, you won't turn back. Shop the range and join the membership over at yonipleasurepalace.com. Use my code DRCAT, that's D-R-C-A-T, for 10% off your total order. I'll just put all that in the show notes for you. Now, my lovers, I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank you for leaving me reviews on iTunes and sharing this with your homies. My goal here is to help you to eat, play, and sex so much better. So head over to sexloveyoga.com and grab my free sensual Sundays guide full of delicious pleasures to up-level your weekend with delight. Now to our awesome guest that I'm so stoked to have on the show, Nicoletta Heidegger is a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist and the host of the hit podcast, Sluts and Scholars, talking all about sex, love, and mental health. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so happy you're here. 
I'm so glad to be here. It is always weird for me to be on the other side uh, of the interview. So you know that I love you and all the things that you do. So I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> I know I feel the same exact way and I'm total fangirling. I love your podcast, Slits and Scholars. It's like, it's, it's gold. So anybody who hasn't checked it out, definitely hit over there. And I've been on your podcast too. So start yeah. with that. Yeah. Start with that episode. It's the best, it's the best one. It's the best one. Everyone else after that is, is, is just a step number two. I don't know. Second place. Everything <laughs> yeah. Else sorry sorry to place. all my other guests. It's uh it's the best one. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. so I'm happy to have you on the show to really talk about um, mental health and sex and how it relates to just sex. I'm actually stoked that there are more conversations that are being had in our culture about mental health, whereas even just 10 years, even fuck, like five years ago, even last week, it wasn't as much. There was still a lot of stigma and I, I there, we're still working through stigma around mental health, but at least we're talking about it and there's more of a compassionate conversation around it. So this, uh, bringing it in more into how it relates to sex I still think is not talked about as much. And maybe that's the next tier that we're working with here. Well, I think whenever, as you know, and why we do these podcasts is because I think when anything comes to sex and yeah, anything sex related that usually gets like put down to the bottom. And so whether that's like health and sex, I think, yeah, it's not often considered overall health. Sexual health is not usually considered overall health. I do think people have been talking about it more in light of the pandemic because of how much more people are experiencing mental health struggles, or at least talking about it more openly during the pandemic. So I think it's definitely being talked about a little bit more. Uh, and I would say myself and all my colleagues for the most part have been full um, since the pandemic because of like how much of a need there is for support with depression and then the overlap with sex. Yeah. And I'll speak for myself too. During the pandemic, I definitely felt the symptoms of depression. It just, it, it, it was a perfect storm of everything, both culturally with all the, the, um, racial trauma and the conversations and, and then being alone in our house and in our just, stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. And just for all of us, we became a lot more vulnerable to mental health challenges. Same. Yeah. And I think a lot of people imagine that when you're thinking like depression or mental health struggles, it's like a decrease in sexual interest. I would say for some people, it's also an increase um, because they're like, well, this is my tool to help me feel better. And sometimes it helps, but if even temporarily, um, but I know some folks who were having more sex because they were depressed. And sometimes even for me, it's something I want more of because I'm like just anything to help me not feel this way. Uh, but other times it's like a total disinterest, not in my body at all. So that's really interesting, the manifestation of that. And because what I think of and what probably many people think of depression is they think of the symptoms of you know, anhedonia, not no enjoyment towards or desire and motivation towards really anything, let alone sex or low libido. Um, maybe we start there. When we're talking about depression, what are we looking at? What are people, what can they connect with or, or um, identify with? I mean, like, like what's happening in their body? Yeah, yeah. Or the symptoms. What are the symptoms? 
Yeah. I mean, I think this is always a tough one because sometimes there are so many overlaps with other things um, and it can look similar. So it can definitely look similar to just overall burnout. I think it can look similar to trauma symptoms um, and it can look similar. I'm sure you talked about this on your podcast, but it can look similar to the freeze response um, that we have when we're feeling really triggered by something and we're in kind of an overwhelmed state where everything is just sort of like numb and disconnected. And so I feel like when we use the word depression, it can mean a lot of different things, but it presents with these same symptoms. Um, so we're looking at, at least in the body, that could be total disinterest or partial disinterest in things that you used to enjoy or really anything anymore. Um, struggling to connect with yourself uh, and with others, uh, tiredness increasing, um, yeah, just like not really wanting to, to do much of anything. Um, I think it can also just look like quick to be triggered by something because your resources are being depleted. Um, it can also look like just seeing everything with like a worse lens. And mm -hmm. so something I tell people is like when you're in that stressed, depressed, whatever state is, it's going to change your, your brain chemistry in a way that your perception of things is going to be affected. So you're going to be more likely to like view things that people say as disappointed or attacking or aggressive with you. Um, so it's going to just totally change your perception of what's happening to you and the world around you, uh, mm -hmm. in a shitty way, most of the time. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I almost think of it as the word depression as in depressing, you know, like this, this going inward or, or pressing down this heavy energy in the body somatically. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a time where we can go inward and we can look at what's there, but how often, and, and maybe this is what, what you were lending to a moment ago of using these external things to, to just cope. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like, sometimes there's no motivation to do anything and then you just feel kind of stuck and then you punish yourself because you're stuck, um, which is like the worst. I'm sure we've both worked with clients and maybe even in ourselves like that. And I think for others that have a little bit of energy or motivation, um, at least I know this for myself, it's often like a sensation seeking behavior sometimes of like, I just want to feel something, um, or I just want to not feel this way. And to me, sometimes that can look like sometimes looking just externally, right? Looking to others to quote unquote, make me feel better mm -hmm. um, or looking to experiences to bring me out of this. And sometimes that's good. I do think, um, you know, there's that adage of like move a muscle, change a thought. So like mm -hmm. sometimes the more we do move um, and do something and get connected with others, it can help. But if it's something that's going on within us, some of that external stuff is only going to last for so long. Um, and so it's, yeah, you're going to be like chasing the, chasing the dragon sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So finding a balance between these things that can help us manage or cope with the feelings and getting to the root cause so that we don't end up having these symptoms. Yeah. Something I wonder, and maybe you can, maybe we can both talk about it. Cause I struggle with this sometimes with myself and with clients is, there's so many things out there that provide wonderful distractions um, these days. <laughs> and I think, I think like distractions can be great and necessary. And like, I mean, I think you're really good at being in your body. Uh, you do a lot of embodied stuff, but it's sort of like, we can't expect to like be in our fucking bodies all the time because if we were, I think it would be, it's a lot, especially yeah. if you haven't practiced it. And so something I wonder about is like, are distractions good coping tools 
for something like depression, because it's like, on one hand, maybe it makes you feel good in the moment, but to me, it's sort of just like numbing out and not mm-hmm. dealing with the stuff. So I'm mm-hmm. talking the like, you know, binge watching Netflix and I don't know, just, I guess, binging anything. It's like, I want to, I don't want to invalidate that and say like, you shouldn't do this. Cause like, it's nice. It makes you feel good. But also usually when it's done, you're still feeling shit. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, and to frame it as these are also self-regulating tools too. They just are one tool in the box and we can learn many other ways to, to actually be able to change that, that state of being. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe not being the only tool. Okay. So tying this in with sex, how do we see that depression affects sex? Yeah. I think in terms of how depression affects sex, um, like I said, I think on one end you have like a a disinterest, um, and that can be for a variety of reasons. I think oftentimes you're just maybe barely getting through the day. Um, and so all of your resources are maybe being used to just like get you up in the morning to go get water, to, to try to convince yourself to eat. Um, and so having sex, at least sex that's worth having, um, takes some amount of energy and investment. And so at the end of the day, you may be just depleted of resources and disinterested. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, it can also not a yeah. priority. It's like, like no, babe, yeah. I literally ain't got any, no more gas in the tank. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like if you're spending your whole day in survival mode, mm-hmm. um, sex really isn't a priority. Cause you're like, I'm just trying to figure out how to like exist, how to just be. Um, and the idea of something being more pleasurable than that is like unfathomable. Um, I think it can also look like, you know, when you're feeling depressed, you're probably not feeling great about yourself. I think there's a lot of connection with anxiety and shame, uh, that's connected with depressed feelings. And, and just as we're talking about this, I find that I want to like differentiate between like diagnosable major depressive disorder and like feeling depressed. So obviously if you're listening and you're feeling any of these symptoms, like good to talk to your therapist or meet with a psychiatrist or get checked out by, you know, somebody in that realm to see what's going on for you. Cause you know, it may need something more and it could be a whole range of things. It could be, like I said, on the, on the verge of just like depressed feelings, or it could be like major depressive stuff really going on. And, and I think there's a range. Um, cause as, as humans, we all experience some level of this, I think at some point. Um, and sometimes it's like understandable, right? Like if I'm depressed about systemic racism and a global pandemic, like, of course I'm fucking depressed because there's a lot of shit going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so either way, I think it's important to know and validate that there's lots of things that would be understandable to get depressed about. But if you're feeling this ongoing and not sure why it's happening and there's no thing you can point to, um, and you need help, like, please get that. So just want to put that out there (laughs) (laughs) before we continue. We are Um, here for you. Yeah. Yeah. But the way it also, I also see it showing up is just how people feel about themselves and that's going to affect the pleasure potentials that they have. And so if you're feeling depressed and everything is seeming helpless, um, you probably also have a lot of shame and are like punishing yourself about not being as motivated or as efficient in your life. Um, I think it can also look like not feeling good in your body. You might be angry at your body for how it's being or be more tough on the way that you look physically. And so if you're not liking where you're at and liking yourself, it's going to be hard to even feel sexy and like want to even invite somebody 
into that space with you. Um, and you may even feel like guilty bringing someone in. Cause you're like, why would you want to be with mm. a disgusting person like me or yeah. something, some horrible self-talk like that? Oh God, I can relate with that. My 20 year old self definitely moved through a lot of that and ended up, I used the, the coping tool of isolation to prevent exactly that. Mm. You know, the pain of rejection was more than the pain of being alone. So I would create that as a way to cope. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily going anywhere and resolving anything, but at least it made it so that I wouldn't then tip over into overwhelm, which I think so many of us are afraid of overwhelm. Well, I think that's another good point too. Like sex can bring up a lot of different feelings, right? And so if you already feel like you're on the verge of like tears or breakdown or vulnerability, I think a lot of folks might avoid sex and intimacy altogether because they're worried of like, what is this going to open up for Mm -hmm. me? What is this going to bring out? And I think ideally, if you're going to be having sex and you're feeling depressed, it would be ideal to be having it with somebody who can hold space for that. Like I'm a big fan of the crygasm. Like I think it's a really <laughs> wonderful tool to like release stuff. Like, and it's okay to be not in a non-consensual way, but it's okay to be like sad and tearful and have intense emotions coming up during sex. And it can be very healing if you're like seen and held by yourself um, or a partner. And mm-hmm. so and it can boost your mood afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're with somebody who can hold space that you're like, look, I'm feeling really depressed. I don't know if I have a lot in me, but I really want to like have this time with you. Can you accept that? Like, I'm, I may cry, I may do whatever and just know that it's like not about you. And I'll tell you if I want to stop. Um, mm-hmm. cause I do think it can be a really healing space as well to have somebody give you permission to feel those big feelings and not be disgusted by you. Yeah. It's like transmitting or sorry, transmuting the pain that we hold in ourselves or even Mm -hmm. pain of past experiences of being rejection. And here you get to be your full expression, your full authentic self and be accepted and and loved through that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, I'm, I'm literally remembering my most recent time where I was like a ball of tears and how important we can totally talk about our crygasm stories. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all for it. (laughs) And, you know, I've had both positive uh, experiences around that and both negative even before I was a lot, this version of Dr. Cat who can communicate very well, but having these moments where I was crying after the orgasm and a partner literally being like, are you okay? And then getting up and going and brushing their teeth. (laughs) <laughs> like and me leaving there like just frozen and being like, like yeah I'm fine yeah and then let me just tuck all of this away and put it in for your comfort you know and 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 then also those times where I bawled after like a, a good BDSM session and they'd be like just holding me in that and how different <laughs> I mean clearly those how are. nice that felt yeah. And having no, no need to explain. Cause I didn't, you know, in that moment, I wasn't connected with what was alive. I was just in the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes that's better than the sex itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the before and the after for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's another clinical term too. Um, postcoital dysphoria, sadness after sex. Are you familiar with that? that I don't know if I, I don't know if I've heard it said in that way, but I'm definitely familiar with like 
the drop, you know, so that could be like, I don't know, it, it is, you are having an infusion of like feel good hormones. Um, and then afterwards there can be a drop. Sometimes that could just be like hormonal. It can be due to shame. It can be due to lots of things. Um, and it's, sucks <laughs> it does. that's the clinical term it sucks it sucks <laughs> don't get a diagnosis of that yeah 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 and how often you know this is a pretty common experience actually and uh, from my research it's it's that the challenges of it is um that we can see that and then believe that there's something wrong with us. So shame mm. about the shame or shame about the anxiety after the orgasm or after the sex, or why am I sad yeah. when my partner is such an amazing partner? Why am I feeling distant and sad and, and crying and after this experience? And I think this is important to have conversations about that. It is actually very common and the importance of nesting or that aftercare yeah. to, to ground. Yeah. But see, these are the things that people need to talk about in sex education is like, oh, it's normal for this to happen after, uh, and to normalize that so that people aren't feeling bad about the feelings they're having. Um, I think probably the most frustrating part of this depression and sex topic for me, and I had someone on my podcast recently to talk about it is, um, one of the main tools in our culture to manage depression is medication. Um, and I am in support of medication. I think it can be really helpful and useful for a lot of folks and a lot of the primary medications to help treat, um, depression or major depressive disorder do affect, um, our sexuality. Uh, and so it sucks because it's kind of like, okay, well, if you don't take medication, you're not going to want to fuck, but if you do take medication, you're also not going to want to fuck. So it's like, how do we, um, how do we choose, what to do with that. And, um, we can certainly talk more about that, but I think that's mm -hmm, a that's really, okay. That's a really frustrating thing that a lot of my clients have experienced. Yeah. And so which medications do you see having the most impact and which ones do you see as having less of an impact? So again, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not your medical doctor. Um, but in general, uh, <laughs> things that fall into the category of SSRIs, uh, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So basically what that means is it's allowing more serotonin to be flowing through your body. Um, and interestingly, serotonin, um, even if it's a feel good feeling, it actually turns off some of our sexual drive desire components. That's like the simplest way I can say it. So forgive me if I skipped a lot of steps, but, mm -hmm. um, that things in those categories, that's like your, uh, like Prozac, um, let's see what else, what else would fall into that category. Um, I'm blanking. Alexa. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch that fall under the category of SSRIs. Um, and so those are the main ones that are usually affecting people. So those can do things like um, making it so that you have less spontaneous uh, desire uh, mm -hmm. and arousal, meaning like you might not even think of sex at all um, unless you're like really prompted uh, with things that start to like arouse your body. Um, it might take longer and more effort and energy to get to a place of being open to getting turned on. Um, it can also uh, dull the sensations in your body. So it can take longer uh, to reach orgasm or to feel uh, pleasure in your body. Um, even though maybe overall you're feeling like less shitty, it takes more to like get to the higher highs, mm -hmm. um, I would say. So it's a little, it can be a little muted for folks. Um, and so this can obviously 
get people to be really frustrated, um, either solo or partnered. Um, and it's definitely like not a death sentence. There's lots that you can do to, I think, to work on this and to figure this out and to navigate this so that you can both take medication and have an enjoyable sex life, but it mm. is going to take some, some work and some creativity. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that you tend to, tend to prescribe people or, or give people as exercises to help them do if they're a client of mine, I'm definitely going to want them to like sign a release form so I can talk to their psychiatrist because they may be able to prescribe them a different kind of medication. That's not an SSRI. Uh, they may also be able to prescribe them something to kind of offset this effect. Mm -hmm. Um, often that's something like a medication called Wellbutrin. Um, they may also, depending on how holistic this doctor is, they may suggest, uh, like different supplements and like holistic things, uh, that are more like medicinal practices to help kind of offset, uh, the sexual side effects. Um, so I'm going to really want to like talk to the doctor and make sure that they are firstly talking to my client about sex. Cause unfortunately a lot of psychiatrists do not have any training in human sexuality. And so a lot of folks will go and maybe not know anything about this side effect and then be wondering what's going on. Or often it may be their partner wondering what's going on and, and taking it personally of like, mm -hmm. why don't you want to have sex with me? Yeah. Um, so ideally talking to that psychiatrist and making sure we can collaborate, making sure that they're talking to their client about this and willing to hear that their sexuality is important to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause I think a lot of doctors will just be like, well, you're not feeling depressed anymore. Like, yeah. Uh, get over it basically. Mm -hmm. Like this is the trade-off as opposed yeah. to working with them to try to find a solution. Yeah. Um, in terms of behavioral stuff, I would say one of the things I do with most clients is trying to get them to redefine what sex means to them, mm -hmm. um, and not have it be so goal oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, so if we're just focused on the goal of orgasm and just defining sex as penetration, um, yes, medication might affect those things, but that doesn't mean that you can't have different kinds of sex or different kinds of pleasure and connection and intimacy. It just might look different than whatever pressure or expectation you're putting on yourself. So it's a lot of like re-narrating, um, what does sex mean to you? What is pleasure? How do you define that? Uh, what does it take for you? Um, and then getting people to be curious, like, yes, maybe it doesn't look the same, but at least for me, and I've been someone who has taken medication before, um, and I can't say that this will be for, for you medically, um, but I would say for me, like it just took learning different routes to pleasure and that I might require more in different things. And then it kind of like plateaued out. And I felt like the, the less I was worried about it not happening and, and being creative, the less of an issue it was. And then the more pleasure I ended up having. So mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if you know anything about this. I haven't done my research on this in a sciencey way, just anecdotally, but I do wonder if like, yeah, sure. Medication can certainly affect these things, but I often feel like it's like the feelings about it happening mm -hmm. that make it worse and make it maintained. I would actually very much agree with you and addressing some of those symptoms that you were saying, like dull, more dulled sensation, everything we can condition our body towards sens sensuality. And that's actually what I talk about a lot in my sensual awakening, 14 day. Sign up for the class. <laughs> Get it. But how important it is to not, we, it, it's almost like we fall into this. If it's not natural or if it doesn't happen automatically, then 
there's something wrong. Yeah. Something's wrong or just like, fuck, why would I put any energy into it? Same with relationships, right? It's not natural if it doesn't happen spontaneously, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, people want a quick fix. Right. But if we instead get intentional about it, put on our critical thinking hat and figure out how we can, you know, address some of those symptoms, I think that can be, that can help us without having to completely X, you know, whether, whether it's communication or sex altogether. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think you really like anytime you want to have or experience great sex or great pleasure, it's going to take some work, um, which I know can be frustrating, especially if you're feeling depressed and don't feel like you have the energy to put into it. But if we're talking medication and you're taking that, maybe see that as like, okay, maybe now this is going to give me the, the energy or the boost to have the potential to now put energy into developing my sexual relationship with myself and with other people Mm -hmm. um, and taking things like, like Dr. Kat's class to get in touch with your body and sensations and see, well, what will it require now? Like, what do I need? Um, I think people are also afraid of like asking for too much. Mm -hmm. And so if they're usual route to orgasm has now changed because of depression or medication, I think people feel ashamed or embarrassed to be like, I need more. I need more time. I need more stimulation. I need more toys or tools. I need, um, more stuff to get me open to it. And Mm -hmm. so I often think it's just people are like putting a cap on their pleasure potential because they don't want to ask for more. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So this is an edge for us. It's very vulnerable because we can be afraid again of that rejection piece. Yeah. And also recognizing that sex doesn't, I, I hear this so often. People are like, sex takes so much energy, blah, 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 but it doesn't have to. And some of the hottest sexual experiences, um, especially in my tantric training was where we barely did anything physical. Like we just were like holding each other and just like, just bare, you know, just gently rocking our hips and, and the energy became palpable and it moved it. It moved us instead mm-hmm. of us having to have that much energy. So I think like lazy, quote unquote, lazy sex, lazy sex. big fan, big fan of the morning side by side spooning of like barely doing anything. <laughs> It's, it's so hot and I'm, and not to say to knock all the other, cause I love some good BDSM play where we do all the energy. It takes a lot of the energy to create the scenes, but also how fixed we get with these images of what sex is. And like you were saying, can we redefine these? Can we expand them? Can we have a spectrum instead of a, um, you know, this dual like this or this experience? Yeah. 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 And then I would also add to that the impact of depression on initiation of sex. Because mm. if yeah. we're not feeling the energy, it's like we just fall into, well, I'm just too tired tonight, honey, or or I don't want to initiate because what if I start initiating and then I don't actually want sex, then what do I do? I started it. It's my fault. Mm. Yes, definitely. And that's a tough one because I think if it's if it's partnered sex, maybe the other partner doesn't want to feel like they're always initiating it. But I I guess my like advice for that would be, I don't know what what you think, but my advice for that is like trying to remember in your body how it's felt maybe when you have 
not started in the mood, but then allowed yourself to be open to getting there. Mm. And then how it felt afterwards and being like, oh, I remember why I like this or Mm. like this was fun and now I feel better. And um, I mean, yeah, having sex can be a mood booster. I'm not saying it can cure all forms of depression, but it can (laughs) definitely, like we talked about, be a good distraction, be a good way to get back into your body in a pleasurable way um, and just increase a lot of great feel good hormones in your body, um, both through skin to skin contact, sometimes through orgasm, if the sex is leading there, um, or just like being with somebody, uh, and touching. So if you can try to remember in your body, how does it feel after when I've usually been glad that I did it? Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to, I mean, this is a tough one. This takes practice being able to communicate with your partner, like, Hey, I'm not in the mood right now. I'm feeling kind of depressed, but I'd really like to try to connect with you. Um, you know, please know that like, I'll, I'll let you know if like that changes, but I'd really like to try. Mm, I love, but that's fucking vulnerable. That's so scary to say to somebody, I'd like to try to initiate sex. That's scary enough as it is. If you never (laughs) initiate, uh, to be open that you might decide you don't want to do it to trust that your partner's going to hear you Mm. and respect that and not push you, uh, to trust that you'll be able to speak up and not just freeze, um, and say you're fine and then not enjoy it and then have a bad experience. Like there's so many layers here. It Mm -hmm. takes practice. So like, please, if you're listening, like, don't be hard on yourself. Like this is, this is what Dr. Kat and I do for a living. And it's still fucking hard for me sometimes because it's so vulnerable. Oh my God, girl. I feel you. Yeah. And I think also having the conversation of, um, how you prefer to be initiated with or how you prefer to initiate your partner. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we actually, do we actually spend the time to sit and think about, Oh, how do I prefer to be initiated or or vice versa? I mean, I like force my clients to have those conversations, but like in general, no, (laughs) like who the fuck teaches that? Nobody teaches that. Um, I think it's, then it just becomes this like weird song and dance. And then, then you're like, why didn't they notice I was doing it because you're not speaking Mm -hmm. their language. And then it's Mm -hmm. just, I don't know. Then people just go for like the boob honk and it's like, that's not going to get you anywhere. (laughs) Touche. No, maybe if you're into that. Oh, that's my, oh, my least favorite when like a partner just like reaches for my pussy or like reaches for my tits. And I'm just like that. I don't want to do anything with you now. And like, we need to really like reel it in and slow it down. That's like the, the fastest route to know for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same for me too. And I fully honor that there are sexual erotic blueprints out there where that is their thing. And that, that's yeah. badass. Great. If you know yeah. that for yourself <laughs> and for most of us, like, or yeah, some of but us know maybe. it and say it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I have is some of the things that I have my clients go through is also to see um, looking at the times that they've been turned on or they've been receptive and look at, well, what were some of the contextual factors that were at play? Mm -hmm. You know, what were even like the times where it was a no, what were the contextual factors that were at play too? Because our arousal, you know, is also very contextual based. Mm-hmm. We have things that put on the brakes and put on the accelerators. I think there's a lot of that talk in the book, Come As You Are. Yes, big fan. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I think that can lend to a conversation of, of identifying some of these, um, these 
initiating styles. And if you're experiencing depressed feelings where you hadn't before or are on a new medication, um, I think this is where maybe the work piece comes in is you have to be willing to maybe have some of the patience and the curiosity with yourself and with your partner to figure out maybe your erotic blueprint again, or to do some of the exercises from the book come as you are by Emily Nagoski that you were mentioning. Like there's some great worksheets online that talk about those sexy contexts. Um, so you may have to be refiguring out and reconfiguring like what does it take for me to be open to the idea of getting turned on? What are the contexts and being willing to take the time to explore that because it may change if your mood has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're dynamic people. We change. <laughs> we change, Nicoletta. Sometimes not. <laughs> Don't expect your partner to change. <laughs> well, that, that's the truth. I <laughs> ran into an ex from 10 years ago and I was like, you didn't change. <laughs> glad, <laughs> glad you're not in it anymore. <laughs> So bless you. (laughs) Um, All the love. But this, (laughs) this idea of, um, you know, patience and compassion and empathy and, and curiosity, I see, you know, with yourself, but also as a partner who say your, your partner has depression is so important. Remembering how vulnerable this is for the other person. Mm, Yeah, I think that's another piece when we're talking about sex and depression is like, what the F does the partner do? Um, Because I think it's so hard not to make the person experiencing the depressed feelings um, Mm -hmm. feel like what we would call in therapy, the identified patient. So this is like, oh, well, it's like your problem. And this is something for you to fix. And that might be coming from the non-depressed partner, but it could all, it's more than likely coming from the person who is depressed. Um, But yeah, look, having a partner who's struggling with depression can take a toll on you. Um, It cannot feel sexy to feel like a caretaker of your partner or like you're having to watch them cry and hold them and not sure and feeling helpless and not sure what to do with them. And so I think it's just as important that if you're partnered with somebody experiencing depression for you to get support also uh, either in therapy, so you can have a space to, to talk about this, to vent, to get resources, but also to figure out, well, maybe how is this affecting my sexuality and how can I find some kind ways to express that without shaming someone for feeling depressed when they can't control it. Mm, Yeah. And how would you, can you think of what some of those statements might be for somebody? Because I I think a lot of people are like, I don't know how to not shame my partner, you know? I mean, look, it's so hard. Like you could say everything right. And if the person is depressed, they're probably going to be offended by what you say because they're already feeling depressed. So Mm -hmm. I think that's where like couples therapy comes in. That's where couples coaching comes in. Um, but I'm a fan in most cases of like the shit sandwich technique, you know, you say the, the nice thing and then the point of growth and then the nice thing. Uh Um, so something along the lines of like, um, and, and kind of saying it as a compliment, like I feel so, um, so connected to you when we're able to be together in pleasure. And I'm finding that lately, like I've been really concerned about you, um, and your mood and how you've been feeling. Um, it would really turn me on to know that we were working towards a solution to this together so we can connect again. Ooh, that was so good, Nicoletta. You just pulled that out of your ass. Like I pulled a, that right out of my ass. Yeah. <laughs> like a good butt plug. <laughs> it felt so good to get it out. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I hear this validation. I hear this 
um, uh, appreciation, the direct communication of what you need, and then the support or the request for support. Yeah. Versus like, versus like, you're really not hot when you're depressed, (laughs) which is like, we kind of said the same thing, but like said in a very different way. (laughs) Communication is an art and a finesse and we can do it non-violently if we take the time and the patience and the curiosity to learn, learn Mm -hmm. how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There's so much juicy knowledge in here. It's, it's like, the opposite of a shit sandwich. <laughs> Thank you. I strive to not be a shit sandwich on my podcast <laughs> guesting opportunities. So how can people begin to implement this from theory to steps? How can we apply this? What do we need to do? Yeah, I would say like we talked about this a little bit in the episode, but like first and foremost, like connect, you know, if you're if you're struggling with depressed feelings um, or your partner struggling with depressed feelings, uh, get to a therapist, you know, who maybe specializes in this. I'm biased. I say go to a sex therapist to make sure that they're acknowledging, you know, um, these yeah, the sexual pieces of things. Um, go to a psychiatrist if you can. I know it can be tough. Um, a lot of people are expensive or out of pocket or whatever through insurance, but, you know, try try to get in there, try to get assessed to see what's going on for you, get some recommendations for yourself. Um, I would say the second piece is to, you know, give, give yourself just some space to acknowledge what is bringing this up in your life. I think sometimes, if we're feeling an uncomfortable feeling, we just want to get rid of it. Um, so if it's tolerable, I would say, take a moment to acknowledge like what may be bringing this up in your life, because look, maybe the depressed feelings are there for a reason. Maybe they're there because they're highlighting something you need to work on or something you need to take off your plate uh, or a relationship that's not serving you anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So if it's tolerable, like sit with it for a second and be curious about it and ask why it's there and what, what, what what might be causing it and mm-hmm. then validate what those things are. Like I was saying, whether it's systemic issues happening or a pandemic or relational issues, maybe it's there for a reason and you don't want to just make it go away because you might need to address something. Um, and then I would say, you know, if you're talking sex and depression, definitely try to find somebody who is sex informed and, and trained in your, in your therapy circle. Um, take those classes that, that Dr. Kat is offering, uh, read come as you are, like use these tools to find ways to reconnect with yourself, uh, and with others, because I think that sexual pleasure is a, is a human right. Um, and it's definitely something that kind of you know, help our, our mood and our overall well Um, and so just, I think trying to give yourself permission and feeling deserving that like you can access this. It may take a little more work and creativity, um, but that, yeah, that this is out there for you and there's so many resources. So ask for help, like take the steps and be curious. And there's things we can do. There are things we can do. This isn't a hopeless situation. You're not broken. It just is a a part of you that's asking you to take a look at it or, and give attention and affection to just like we would a child, you know, a child needs something. And so do you, and so do these inner parts in you. Mm -hmm. And, and there's those opportunities there. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you. And play. Like, I feel like you do so many wonderful things with encouraging people to like play and be playful and get back to pleasure in different ways. So that stuff can not only help with sex, but like all the other pieces of your life. 
Mm-hmm. Preach. <laughs> Here for the play. Well, where can everybody find you? Um, obviously, your podcast, Slits and Scholars. Check out my episode with her about embodiment. <laughs> Yes. Um, well, firstly, thanks so much for having me. It was so cool to talk to you in like a colleague professional way. Cause I know we, we have our other chat banter. So this is really lovely and nice to be on the other side. Um, you can find me at the sluts and scholars podcast. I'm on Instagram at sluts and scholars on Twitter at sluts scholars. Um, and then my, my personal one, uh, which I don't post on as much is therapy with Nicoletta. Um, or you can find me on my website at Nicoletta V Uh, But thanks so much for having me. And I hope you check out our podcast episode together on my podcast as well. Lovers, thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, hit subscribe and head over to eatplaysex.com to connect with me and grab my sexy guides. Because my goal here is to get you to eat, play, and sex better. So you can improve your sex life, which will improve every aspect of your life. Until next time, keep it sexy.